It's always such a privilege preaching the gospel, preaching the powerful word of God. We've been enjoying this wonderful series called Family Boosters, and I'm going to be looking at part two, which is support, offering support, demonstrating support. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would come even right now and that you would impart to us your heart for family, that you would give us vision for family and that you would show us, God, how we can demonstrate support for those who are our family members. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. When people say that they have a support structure, what do they really mean? What type of support are they talking about? What makes them keep going back to that support? You see, often people protest when they feel like no one is there for me, when they feel abandoned, when they feel lonely. Sadly, the problem is a lot of us don't know how to articulate clearly what support we actually need at a behavioral level. I don't know if you've noticed that. So in this message, I'm going to highlight and I'm going to unpack the dynamics around three types of support that are crucial in the family context. I'm also going to illustrate the biblical basis for these types of support. And I believe that it's going to be so powerful, especially when we deal with it very prayerfully. I believe that God is doing something powerful in our families right now. And I believe that he's the one who created the institution of family. And to be honest with you, it's under attack. So I believe that part of the role of the church is to take something back, to take this thing called family back. And so as we examine uh, these three dimensions of support, I'm going to ask you to reflect on yourself so that you ask yourself, am I contributing in these areas of support? What am I doing? And then at the same time, I'm going to challenge you to begin to practice them. We'll talk about the three types of support just now. To begin to practice them, to begin to demonstrate them, to make a commitment, a consecration before God to say, this is what you've called me to do with my family, so I'm going to do it. At the same time, I'd like you to reflect on yourself and to ask yourself, are there any gaps, cracks and leakages in my life? And I challenge you to articulate your needs to those who are your loved ones around you to say, this is the type of support I need. So I believe they're going to be powerful family conversations that are going to come out of this message. Amen. The first type of support I want to share with you is spiritual support. Spiritual support. We all need spiritual support. Have a look at 1 Chronicles chapter 29. I'm going to read from verses 19 through to 20. But in your own time, you can read the whole passage. And give my son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands. This is David praying for his son Solomon. So he prays for the children of Israel. He prays for the congregation that's there. But he also specifically in verse 20, verse 19, prays for his son Solomon. He says, and Lord, give my son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands, statutes, and decrees and to do everything to build the palatial structure for which I've provided. Then David said to the whole assembly, praise the Lord your God. So they all praised the Lord, the God of their fathers. They bowed down, prostrating 
themselves before the Lord and the King. I think it's so powerful because David created a culture of prayer and worship. And that's why we sometimes call it Davidic worship, the way they would worship. And it's interesting that he created this culture. It says, he said, praise the Lord your God. And it says, so they all praised the Lord. And I believe that God is calling us to create a culture of prayer and worship in our homes. My question to you is, is your family a ministry center? Is it a place where people can experience spiritual support? Is it a place of worship? Your household this is so important. What I also find interesting about David is that he prayed for his son Solomon. Now we know the great things that Solomon was known for. His wisdom, his wealth, just what he built up, the days of peace that he experienced. But it's important to never underestimate the power of a praying person. I don't believe that this was a once-off prayer. I believe that David had a culture of prayer and he would pray for his son. He would pray for his family. So it's very interesting when you read this whole context, but I want to encourage you, never underestimate the power of a praying person. And if you look in Job chapter 1, let's just look at Job because he's also another example of an interceding parent. Job chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 1 through to 5 and then verse 8. It says, in the land of Uz, they lived, they lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright, okay? So he didn't do anything wrong. He was blameless. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. Isn't that, isn't that powerful, right? So he's powerful in terms of wealth, but he was also powerful and influential in terms of righteousness. Now, he might not have been perfect, but he was described in scripture as blameless and upright. So God was pleased with him. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays. So birthdays were celebrated back then, right? And they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned. I think this is so powerful. And uh, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. So he didn't actually hear them cursing God, but he thought to himself, maybe they've actually done so. So just to make sure, what, did, what would he do? He would offer a sacrifice and a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And it says, this was Job's regular custom. This was Job's regular custom. And then in verse 8, it says, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright. In other words, God liked that practice. God liked what this guy would do, standing in the gap on behalf of his, his sons. And he says, he's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. So here's my question to you. Do you just complain about your children or other family members, or do you stand in the gap on their behalf? Job interceded. He interceded for them just in case. 
He didn't even know that they had done something wrong, but he says, in case they've cursed God, let me just do this. I think it's so powerful. You see, you don't know what your kids are up to when you're not watching, but you can still offer prayers as a form of spiritual support. You don't know what's going on in the lives of your siblings, what happens behind closed doors, but you can still cry out to God for his mercy on their behalf. That's a form of spiritual support. Let me explain this. What does is, what is spiritual support actually look like? It involves praying for your family members. It involves encouraging your family members, bringing hope where there's despair, ministering the words to them, prophesying over them. I believe God has called us to be that for our family members. Do you know how to minister to your spouse in difficult times? That's actually one of the marriage destroyer cards that I use when I talk to couples about marriage destroyers. One of the marriage destroyers is inability to minister to your spouse in difficult times. It's so important to know how to do that. When you pray regularly for your spouse and then give them feedback about what the Lord has been saying to you about them, it helps them to feel secure. And you know what it actually communicates? This guy is thinking about me when he's not with me. You know, with many people, it's out of sight, out of mind, right? That's what it's like with many people. But when I pray for my wife, and then I give her feedback and I say, my love, when I was praying for you earlier on, this is what I felt God was saying to you. I remember she did that for me recently. A few days ago, she came and she said, my love, I was just reading this about David and his mighty men and this and this and this, you know, and I feel it's for you. I felt so blessed because I felt that here's someone thinking about me, processing things about me when she's not actually physically with me. All right. Very, very important. For some people, it's out of sight, out of mind. You know, children are comforted and they're encouraged by your prayers. Don't underestimate that. When you have a routine of praying for them before they go to bed, right? I know that uh, with one of my sons, he'll keep calling me and say, Dad, can you come and pray for me, please? Dad, can you come and pray for me? It does something to him. When one of us is traveling or away and the routine is broken, there's a gap. I believe it's important for us to show the next generation our faith journey. Sometimes I'll say to my kids, you know what, let's believe God for this particular thing. I remember recently we were believing God for a particular thing pertaining to one of my sons. And he was like, no, nah, I don't think it will happen. You guys will be disappointed. No, no, no. Only a few people get that. It only happens to just a few people. And I took the risk of saying, you know what, I've prayed for this. You will see what God will do. And then, of course, behind the scenes, I'm like, Lord, you better show up because I want my son to know that this breakthrough came because of prayer, because God answers prayer. And the breakthrough did come, right? And a lot of praise went to the Lord as a result of that. Is your home a ministry center? It's so important. I encourage you to have a culture of prayer in the home. Are your siblings continuously sending you prayer requests? If they're doing so, it means that they see you as a source of spiritual support. When you have family gatherings, whether it's via Zoom or in person, face to face, is it just chit chats and joking around or is it also for prayer? And you see some of you might say, but Paul, my family isn't Christian. They're not into this kind of stuff. I'm telling you right now, I come from a family that originally wasn't necessarily big into it. They might have done so in a religious way, but now 
I remember some years ago having a family retreat. We had a family retreat and most of the time it was gatherings where we were praying and preaching to each other. So God can transform a family. You see, when there's a culture of prayer and devotions in the home, it gets imprinted into the next generation as a habit. That's why many people, you hear them say, oh, I learned to fast because I spent a lot of time with my grandmother. Oh, where I learned prayer, it was from my mom because she would always be praying. For my dad, oh, it was because of the family gatherings we would have. I want to encourage you to create rituals around these things. My youngest son was asking me recently about this kind of thing. And it was a challenge to me because sometimes your kids can stretch you when you fall out of certain habits with them. And they can say, but what about this? Or when are we going to resume that? I would encourage you to dedicate specific days for prayer for specific family members, you see. And then we've, we've got that in our households, um, household. On Mondays, that's when I pray for my marriage, okay. On Tuesdays, it's for my kids. And Wednesdays, it's my siblings and my parents and my in-laws. So it ensures that I end up covering those areas of prayer, all right. Because otherwise we forget, we can spend months without praying for specific categories. Of course, I also pray for them on other days, but those are the days dedicated to family members. So important. I encourage you to offer spiritual support to those who you call family. The second type of support I want to talk to you about today is psychosocial support. Psychosocial support. And some of you have heard me using this term before and clearly I like it. Okay, Psychosocial refers to your inner world and how it interfaces with the environment around you. All these environmental factors, how they interface with your inner world. You see, so this is really support at a heart level and it also includes emotional support that you give people. People need psychological support, people need social support, people need emotional support. It's so important. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm going to read from verses 11 through to 13. It says this, this is Paul speaking. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We're not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children. So that's a family culture. This is family language. Open wide your hearts also. My question to you is, are you withholding affection from your family members? And if you're doing so, are you doing so out of self-protection because you've been hurt or bruised? Or as a form of punishing them. There's a way in which we punish people. Sometimes we can punish the people around us by withdrawing from them at an emotional level. It has been found that psychosocial support needed after traumatic events or disasters includes these five constructs. A sense of safety. Do you feel safe at home? Calming. Self-efficacy. And community efficacy. Efficacy is your ability, your belief in your ability, that self-belief, your belief in your ability to do something. It's similar to self-confidence. Okay. And then there's also the fourth one is social connectedness. That's bonding and a sense of hope, a sense of hope. This is so important. Let me say these again. A sense of safety, calming, 
self-efficacy and community efficacy, so efficacy, okay? Social connectedness and a sense of hope. This is so important if you want to create an environment where there's psychosocial support. Now, I want to ask you some questions. Is your family a safe space for you? I often say this, the safest place for a wife should be in the arms of her husband. But many women will tell you that they don't feel that at all. They're scared of their spouses. And the other way around, there are many men today who are scared of their wives. They don't feel safe. They feel like they're going to be attacked. You see, when you're terrified or stressed, do you experience calm when you get home or when you interact with your family? Does it have a soothing effect on you? Is it a safe space for you? If you're a nagging wife or if you're a critical and domineering husband, then you're not helping the cause. Do you feel more confident when you're around family members? Often my wife will say, my love, I would like you to come to such and such a place with me where I'm giving this presentation. I, I'll feel more comfortable having you there. So it shows me that I'm a safe space. Okay? Uh, she feels boosted when I'm present. You know that there are times where some people don't want certain family members there because they feel more intimidated when that person is present. It should not be so. It should not be so. There are times when I will give my wife a hug and she'll say, this is home. Even if not at home. That is so crucial. It's so important. Are you creating that type of environment for the people you say you love the most? So do you feel more confident when you're around family members? Do they say they feel a boost when they see you present at a particular event? Maybe you're presenting, maybe you're doing something and you're feeling a bit anxious, but your presence has a calming effect on them. Do you offer each other hope, which is really joyful expectation? Do you have a can-do mentality where your mindset is, you know what, you can do this, go for it. Or do your kids freeze when you are present and they're about to perform? It's so important that you get this at home and that you're offering this to them too. It's so crucial. And the sad thing for me is many people will say they have this, but with someone else and with other people out there, but they don't get it at home. If you look at that scripture that I shared with you, Paul the Apostle is using the language of family. He's saying, I'm speaking to you as children. Don't withhold your affection. We've been affectionate toward you. Don't withhold your affection. One of the ways to enhance social connectedness in your family setting is to practice empathy. And the word empathy comes from two Latin words, em and pathos. It literally means feeling into. And I like to talk about this, that there are three types of empathy. There's emotional empathy, which is, I feel you. So if I say I've got a headache or I've got a migraine, and you say, oh, Paul, where is it sore? Oh, how do you cope? How do you carry on teaching or lecturing or preaching and you've got this headache? Ouch, it must be sore. That's emotional empathy. You feel me. So cognitive empathy is I get you. I follow your logic. If I say to you, who's your best friend? You'll say it's so-and-so. Then I say, why are they your best friend? You'll say to me, Paul, he gets me. I don't feel stressed around him because he follows my logic. He knows where I'm coming from. I don't need to pretend. 
right? So cognitive empathy does not mean you agree with the person all the time, but you know where they're coming from. You're able to actually say to the individual, oh yeah, being you, yes, I can see why you made that decision. And then there's also empathic concern, which is I'm here for you. So if I say, oh, I've got this migraine, you will say, Paul, don't worry, I will cover for you. Let's say we work together. I will do the work, you go, um, you go and rest, Paul. Oh, Paul, here's a panado for you, right? You are communicating empathic concern. And I remember some years ago, my wife was not feeling well, and she said to me, my love, I'm not feeling well. And I said to her, don't worry, I've got everything covered. I'll sort out dinner for the kids. I'll make a plan with them, right? I communicated empathic concern, I'm here for you. A bit later on that evening, she said to me, my love, I don't know if you understand how I'm really feeling. Of course, I got defensive because I'm like, of course I understand how you're feeling. I've been doing this, I've been doing this, I've been doing this. But because I understood this principle, I was able to say to her, you know what's happening? I've been showing you empathic concern. I'm here for you. But what you need right now is emotional empathy. I feel you. And she started to describe how she was feeling. Like there's this thing sitting on my head. And she went into the details of how she was actually feeling. You see, here's the thing. Very often, if you want to build up so psychosocial support for someone, if you want to connect with them, if you want to demonstrate affection, it's so important to show them all three types of empathy. Have a look at Romans chapter 12 verse 15. The Bible says, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. And this is so crucial in a family setting. When someone is excited about it, connect with them at that level. Connect with them at that level. You know, I have to remind myself to do this with regards to my kids. You know, sometimes we hear that a match has been cancelled or a match has been rained off. And my wife and I feel relieved because it takes the pressure off us in terms of having to go up and down, fetching and carrying and so on. But I remember recently just reminding myself that, how is my son feeling about it? And I communicated that verbally. And I said, oh, it must be horrible for you that this thing was cancelled. Okay? Despite the fact that I might have been feeling a bit relieved. So it's so important to get into someone else's world. So when we talk about empathy, it's not just with your spouse, it's with your children, it's with your siblings. It's being able to wear someone else's moccasins, to be able to feel into someone else. One of the worst feelings is when you're so excited about something in your family setting and you share it with a loved one, but they look indifferent. Okay, They don't budge, there's no emotional response and you're so excited and you end up feeling alone, you end up feeling like... Okay, they can't identify with me. They're in a different place emotionally. You see, there's something worse than a negative response. It's no response at all. It's no response at all. There's what we call love bids. And when we talk about marriage and even family life in general, we end up feeling happier when someone demonstrates a love bid. In other words, an offer of love. Something nice to us, right? Uh, for example, hey, come and check this out. I know you'll find this funny. That's a love bit. Hey, would you like a cup of coffee? That's a basic love bit, right? But it's important that we respond to their bid. And there are different ways of responding to someone's love bit. You can either turn against it. That's when you actually say, stop. Stop annoying me with all your funny clips. I haven't got time for that. That's turning against a love bit, all right? You can also turn away from it. 
That's where you ignore it. You don't respond to it. You don't respond to an affectionate text message from your spouse or from your child. Or they're about to tell you a story and you literally ignore them and you're texting someone else or you're on social media. That's turning away from a love bit, okay? We are called to turn toward a love bit. And when we turn toward a love bit and we say, yes, what is it? Right? And we're responsive. Hey, thanks for that message. It made my day. Guess what happens? It increases that bond that you have. And let me tell you something, parents. When you're relating to your children, your children are more likely to obey you when there's an emotional bond between the two of you. As opposed to a situation where you're trying to control them by your harshness, but there's no bond. This is so important. So, I want to encourage you. Celebrate success. Celebrate success. You see, people will always gravitate to where they are celebrated, not where they're tolerated. They will always gravitate to where they're celebrated, not where they're tolerated. And the sad thing is many people feel so celebrated by the outside world, but not by their family members. And that's why Jesus even says, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown. And it's very true concerning families. Very often people are heroes out there in the corporate world. They're heroes in the sporting world, but their family members are indifferent concerning their success. Let me ask you a question. Does your spouse feel like you're their biggest fan? Does your son or daughter feel like you're their biggest fan? Do your siblings feel celebrated by you? You see, sometimes we don't celebrate each other because we're so detached from the other person's world. We actually don't know the significance of their success. I've seen this when it comes to sport. I've had to learn the significance of some of the things my wife has done in the sporting world. So, for example, in the past, she would sort of say, oh, I did such and such a time for my swimming, my open water swim as part of a triathlon. And it was meaningless to me because I didn't fully understand that world until I started studying her time. And then I started seeing what some of the men were doing, young men were doing. And I realized that she's a machine in the water, all right? I started to realize that she's very strong when it comes to swimming because I knew the context. I knew what a strong swimmer does and what an average swimmer does and what a weak swimmer does. I remember when I was growing up getting an honors tie at school. I remember coming home and telling my parents, I got an honors tie. Now, at the school I went to, that was the highest honor someone could receive. I think there are certain years where no one would actually get it, right? Uh, very few people would get an honest time. But it was interesting because my parents didn't fully understand the significance of it until at a certain point a family friend of ours who was chairman of the board of my school at the time came through and was at our house and says, you said to them, your son got an honest time. Then it was more significant. I, this thing must be quite something. I want to encourage you, get into other people's world. Try to understand the significance of certain things. Right? So that you can actually rejoice when they're rejoicing. And then you can also mourn when they're mourning. Because you understand the significance of the pain that they're going through. This is so, so important. So important. I know that if I have a breakthrough or if I have a personal best in my, uh, my running, there's certain people I can say, oh, I did a sub this. Or, you know, I did it under that uh, time. And some people are like, wow, that's amazing, Paul. And with other people, it goes over their head because they don't understand that world. So <clears throat> I want to encourage you to ask some of these questions, to just go 
more than two questions deep. I always say that to people. Go more than two questions deep and demonstrate curiosity in other people's world. That's one of the ways you help them feel significant. When you just show that I'm curious about your world. I'm not asking you questions just because it's gonna impact me. I'm genuinely curious about your world. These are some of the practical questions you can ask people in your family. Hey, just give me a little bit of background around this. How did that come about? Okay? This is what you ask people when you're trying to draw them out. Hey, can you tell me a little bit more about this? How do you feel when someone says that? Okay? Hey, can you just run me through exactly what happened? I want to know a bit more. Just tell me step by step. Often we don't have time for that. We're so drained, right? I just want to check with you. What did you mean when you said X, Y, Z? Okay? Hey, can you just give me an example of what you're talking about with specific details? Pray that God gives you energy to be able to ask these types of questions. When you do that, there's more of a bond between you and your family members. You can ask them questions like this. What do you want in this situation? What outcome are you shooting for? You're asking them about their goals. Hey, what makes this really important to you? I can see you're passionate about it. You know, and this is powerful to actually ask when you're not feeling the same way. Hey, I can see your passion. Tell me, why is this so important to you? I just want to get into your world. Can you just tell me, I, I see you reacting to this. What's behind this? What's behind all of this? Okay. Another powerful question is, how's this affecting you? What bothers you most about the situation? See, I'm so excited about question asking. I believe that when you master the art of being a good question asker, it bonds you with people. One of the sad things today is that in a lot of families, people are just tolerating each other. They're not celebrating each other. In many families, there are public insults of each other in front of friends. Never do that. Okay? Let me ask you this. When was the last time you really celebrated your spouse? When was the last time you really celebrated your siblings or uh, your child for who they are? This is so important. You see this happening between couples where they'll insult each other, where they'll make a lot of comparisons. Oh, look, that lady looks so beautiful. And in front of that particular lady will make an insult to uh, his wife. We're seeing this happening a lot. Stop it. You see, there's certain needs that can only be legitimately met by your spouse. There's certain needs that God has designed to be met in a family context. One of, one of the things I've noticed is that many people fail to redefine old friendships after they get married. After they get married. You know, I know recently I was uh, coaching someone and uh, they were talking about how their values have changed and that some of their friends don't have the same values as them. And I said, well, you have to redefine those friendships. Are you spending a few hours with certain people you should only be spending a few minutes with? And what I've seen happening is that some people, because they're so connected outside of family at a very deep level, they have their needs very well met there. And so as a result, they don't need to build a friendship with their spouse. That's their mindset. I don't need to build a friendship with my wife. I've got friends out there. I know people who will update 
their friends about certain promotions and certain aspects of progress in their lives before their spouse even knows. That's dishonoring. I want to ask you that. Because when I challenged this one person who I was coaching, just saying, as you prepare for marriage, as you get ready as a young man one day, you might have to redefine some of these friendships. And he said to me, man, you know, but those are my cats. Some of those are my day one cats. You know, that must be quite difficult to have to do that, right? And then I quickly realized when he's talking about a day one, he's talking about someone you grew up with, someone that you knew from a grade triple, triple O, grade one, right? I want to encourage you, in order to progress in life, you have to redefine certain relationships. There's some that are good for you, but ask yourself, is this contributing to my family life or is it contaminating my family life? Is this a friend who my spouse approves of? Or is this a friend they feel is harming me? These are things that you need to ask yourself. The third type of support I want to talk about today is developmental support. Developmental support. You know, when you look at Hebrews chapter 5 verse 12, it says, In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. So we see in scripture that growth in the kingdom is so important. You know, I, I used to say this to people that being a Christian is ri like riding a bicycle, right? You have to keep moving, otherwise you will fall. And I believe that family is an environment where we ought to offer developmental support. Are you growing because of your family or are you stagnating because of your family? This is so, so important. Family should be a climate of growth. When you start to stagnate, you begin to die a slow death. And you can see the frustration that this, uh, the writer of the book of Hebrews was experiencing. Some of you ought to be teachers by now, but you still need milk, not solid food. You're still infants. But by now you should have grown. Look, look at what Jesus says in John 14 verses 8 through to 9. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father. You could see that Jesus had an expectation of growth. He felt like you've known me, you've been with me for such a long time, yet you're not catching on to certain things. Let me tell you something. Jesus expects us to be growing. Jesus expects us to be growing. And God's intention was that family would be a place of growth. He would never want us to be spending so much time in our family units, but we're not growing. He would never expect us to be in a space where we're going to school, we're going to church, and we're growing in those environments. But whenever we come back home, where we spend so much time, we're stagnating. Home should be an environment of growth. You see, in the kingdom of God, we're expected to progress and to grow after spending time with Jesus. And that's why Jesus said, you've been with me for such a long time, but you're asking me this question. Are there certain questions you're still asking that you shouldn't be asking anymore because you've known Jesus for some time? 
You see, we are called to grow in knowledge, in wisdom, and in stature. It says Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature. So my question to you is, is your family environment a place where gifts and callings are stirred up? Or is it a place where your gifts and callings are squashed? I've been in family environments where people are teased because of their spiritual progress or even their academic progress. I know of someone who grew up in a family environment where they would do well, they're a smart person, but their father would say, why don't you just get 50%? 50% is okay. Just get 50% only. All right? So are you being squashed and stunted in your growth? Or is your environment an environment where, hey, you can make mistakes. It's okay to make mistakes. And it allows you to actually be curious. It allows you to grow. You see, when there's perfectionism around you, it stunts growth. This is important to understand. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says to Timothy, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So Paul, as Timothy's spiritual father, played a role in imparting certain spiritual gifts to Timothy. And then he's saying, Timothy, fan into flame these gifts. Stir up these gifts. There's an expectation for growth. And I believe that developmental support in a family setting includes ministry development, helping family members grow in ministry. Right? What's your impact on them? It involves academic support. I know in my family setting, you know, my wife is brilliant with that in terms of what she offers academically to our children. Okay. It also involves career development support where you can mentor someone and say, try this, go for this interview. Let me, in let me introduce you to this particular person. You know, part of mentorship, you've got the psychosocial function of mentorship, and then you've also got the career functions of mentorship. And part of mentoring someone is exposing them to challenging assignments where they can actually be stretched. It's about sponsoring someone. I'm not talking financially. I'm talking sponsoring someone where when you have doors opening up for you, you say, hey, there's this youngster I know. Can you help them? And I know many of you have done this for your siblings, for your children, for your spouses. This is so important, okay, where you open doors for them. You know, sometimes God will open doors for you so you can open them for others also. We need to move away from this crab mentality of pulling people down instead of actually uh, developing them. You know, last week we had a powerful message uh, from my wife on the essence of motherhood. And one of the things uh, she taught us was how mothers are life givers. That's the essence of motherhood. And that it's important for us who are around these mothers to facilitate that. And I asked her that question. I said, in fact, I actually said to her, my love, I'm pondering on this. And I'm thinking of creative ways that God has called me to facilitate the life giver in you. And she was blown away by that because she said, when I preached that message, it was for other people. I didn't realize I would be a beneficiary of that. And I think that's so powerful. My question to you is, do you sometimes feel it is just about his dreams, not yours? Do you sometimes feel it's just about her dreams and not yours? You see, part of uh, developmental support is helping to facilitate the dreams of other people. I think it was John Maxwell who once said, it is one thing to use people 
to accomplish your dreams. It's quite another thing to serve people, to help them to achieve their dreams. It's so important. We're called to unlock the greatness in our family members. Okay? So, do you sometimes feel it's just about their dreams and not yours? This should not be so. This should not be so. You know, when people get married, sometimes when I'm doing a wedding, for example, I'll actually challenge them about growth. I'll actually say, you know what? You should be cultivating her. You should be cultivating each other. And if I come and do an inspection in two years' time, she should be looking more beautiful. She should be um, uh, smarter. She should have grown intellectually and academically. One of the sad things is that many couples do not grow at the same pace. You see them, they finish high school and they're at the same level. But then what happens? After a couple of years, this one has got two uh, PhDs, okay, after 10 years or, or 15 years, and this one hasn't progressed academically. And guess what ends up happening? They end up incompatible intellectually. And this one begins to connect with other people who connect with him at, a, at an intellectual level. And then this one feels left out and it literally affects the marriage. I want to encourage you. It's important to grow together, even spiritually. Maybe you both started out unsaved, then you got born again at the same time, but you're growing rapidly, but in different directions. One of you is backsliding all the time, and the other one of you is growing spiritually. And now you feel unequally yoked. You're not on the same page. One of you wants to always go to prayer meetings. The other one is feeling like, and these are real situations. The other one is feeling like, but we've already been to church this week we went to church on sunday why do we need to go to another church gathering all right and then you feel unequally yoked it's important for couples to grow together to grow together this is crucial it helps you in your marriage you know that growth is the basic human need and families need to facilitate growth someone once said that one of the basic needs that human beings have is the need to learn it's the need to leave a legacy it's the need to love it's the need to be loved, okay? Part of learning is growing, okay? Learning is an aspect of growth. Are you learning together and are you facilitating that? Or is it just one person who's making progress and the other one isn't? I've seen it happening where this one is focused, 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 learning and growing, and this other one is regressing, okay? And then feels completely left out of the other person's life, right? Recently, someone expressed to me how one of their biggest things that they hate right now, something they're discovering about themselves, they said to me, Paul, I hate stagnation. They said to me, when something is not growing, it's indicative of something malfunctioning. I think it's so, so true. Because the nature of life is wherever there's life, there's growth. Are you imparting something to the next generation? Look at Acts chapter 21, verses 8 through to 10. It says, leaving the next day, this is Paul and his team, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven, right? He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. I find this so interesting. You see, we live in a generation that has moved away from a culture of apprenticeship where you mentor people, where you coach people, where you show them how. And we've moved from apprenticeships to rote learning. And that's so wrong. That's so wrong. It seems to me here that Philip 
might have used his relational connections to actually activate the prophetic in his daughters. Because they were young. They were exposed to Paul's team. Imagine that. Spending a number of days with Paul and his team. They were exposed to Paul's team, right? And also to this great prophet, Agabus, who ended up prophesying over Paul the Apostle, right? And they experienced this from a young age. I believe that Philip was great relationally, the fact that he could host Paul and his team. And then next moment, he's bringing down Agabus or Agabus visits and is also part of that circle of people. Sometimes we look at young Jewish people. Maybe this person is in their mid-twenties, this young Jewish man. And we think this person is arrogant as they're leading this multi-million dollar company, right, that they've inherited from their parents. But the reality is they're not arrogant, they're confident. Because ever since they turned 13 and had that bar mitzvah, they've been treated like young men. You see, the concept of teenager isn't really a biblical concept. If you look at the, the Hebraic culture, they would start treating you as a young man from the age of 13 and grooming you. And that's what we need to start doing. We need to start raising up a generation of people who don't just see themselves as, I'm a teenager, I'm irresponsible, I'm rebellious. No, they don't have to be. Right? We must treat them as young men and young women and begin to groom them so that by the time they're in their early 20s, they are taking over businesses. They're taking over businesses. And this is so, so important. My question to you is, what are you passing on to the next generation? Are you passing on prayer to them? Are you passing on uh, whatever spiritual gifts that you have that you can activate in them? This is crucial. In Ephesians 6 verse 4, it says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Training and instruction of the Lord. Let me tell you something. Training is not the same as teaching. Teaching, you might teach someone and pass on the knowledge. But training is showing them how to do something instructing them on how they should actually do it. My question to you is, what are the gaps in your family right now? It might be gaps with younger siblings. It might even be gaps with parents. And what is God calling you to do with regards to training and instruction? And let me tell you something. It's not just parents instructing their children. Sometimes you become an adult and you've got parents in ministry. I've got parents involved in ministry. And my dad is always asking me for material, for input, for things. He's often saying to me, I think you need to come up and teach some of the people. He's in ministry. He's got people. He's got his flock. But he's saying, Paul, can you come up and help us with this particular thing? So as you grow older, you will have certain things you can impart. Your parents still impart to you, but you also impart to them. I was speaking to Pastor Vim recently and she was sharing, uh, sharing with me how, with me and my wife, just how um, she also gives input to her dad. Her dad will say, hey, what do you think of this? What's your understanding of this theologically? And she would be sharing. This is so, so important. I'm always passing on materials, passing on my sermons and things like that, books and so on, to my parents. So it happens both ways as you get older. What are the gaps in your family and what has God called you to do with regards to instruction so that you create an environment where your family is growing because of you? In Proverbs 13 verse 22, it says, A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. So it's basically saying part of goodness 
is actually leaving an inheritance for your children's children? <laughs> Are you building in such a way that your grandchildren will benefit? This is so, so important. Are you building in such a way that your grandchildren will benefit? We're talking about growth here. And a lot of times the next generation doesn't grow because they're suffering in the same way that you suffered. You see, and there's some of these people who've got this mindset of, I want them to suffer like I suffered so that they learn, so that they're not spoiled. It's not about spoiling our children. It's, it's making them start at another level. You know that many businesses have not collapsed during this time of uh, lockdown, this time of COVID. They've not collapsed, not because they've been doing so well during this period but because they didn't owe anyone anything. And the reason they didn't owe anyone anything is because when they started, they started debt-free. And they started debt-free because of the inheritance that became capital that went into the formation of those businesses. But many businesses that were doing better during this time period have collapsed, they failed, because people started those businesses in a lot of debt and they were struggling as they started. They had all sorts of expenses, bonds to pay, mortgages to pay and to cover because they didn't start on a good footing, because they didn't start generationally. This is so, so important to understand. And we need to have a vision for the next generation. That's where growth comes in. You see, when the next generation gets a head start, then generational growth is inevitable. Someone was telling me recently of a uh, large retail organization here in South Africa that's recently been sold. And he shared with me how uh, the father, the guy who started this particular business, a well-known business, um, died in his 60s and passed on this business to his son. His son uh, is an accountant and basically came to a point of realizing, you know what, I'm not really into this and sold it for many millions of rands to a, uh, to a well-known retail group, right? That will probably take it to another level. But this son is now in a place where they can pretty much do or go into any type of industry that they do want to go into. Something was passed on to them. This is so important. As you build your wealth, keep thinking of the next generation. And please, it's not just financial. It's also passing on your values, your core values. What are you passing on to the next generation? It's passing on certain spiritual gifts that you can impart and activate in the next generation. They don't need to suffer like you did. They don't need to suffer like you did. Very important to understand that. Do you know that there's a positive correlation between spousal support and entrepreneurial success? It's something that fascinates me. That if you want to be an effective entrepreneur, and you want to grow in your entrepreneurship, it's so important that if you are in a married situation, those of you who are married, that you get support and release and blessing from your spouse. The sad thing is because of conceit, because of arrogance, because of pride, a lot of people work in isolation from their spouses. That's wrong. That is wrong. Are you creating a climate for growth in your family? Are you growing together? When you don't grow together, sometimes you become incompatible financially, intellectually, and even spiritually, where you just don't get each other. Work in a partnership with your spouse. Grow together with your family. Don't just be successful by yourself. Yes, you can't control their choices, 
But it's so important to keep encouraging your siblings, your parents, the people around you. It's so sad when the disparity between couples is so glaring. Are you and your spouse growing at very different rates? If so, what are you going to do about it? I want to land this message by asking you, are you developing in all aspects of life? You see, when we talk about developmental support, we're not just talking about developing in one area. For example, are you developing in your character? Does that manifest in a servant-hearted leader? You see, when you grow as a servant, you grow in the domestic support. That's another type of support, by the way. But it's part of your character. You grow in that. Okay? You grow in the domestic support that you offer the people at home. What acts of service can you do in order to take the load off someone else around you? Is someone always cleaning up after you? See, are you developing in your character? Are you developing in servant-hearted leadership? You see, when everyone in a family grows, they shift from being contaminators to becoming contributors. When everyone in a family setting grows, they progress from being consumers to becoming producers. Let me conclude this message by just um, sharing with you something very practical that you can do as a take-home from this. The first thing to do is consecrate yourself to the Lord as one who's going to offer support to their family members. Where you say, Lord, I present myself right now, I give myself to you, and I choose to offer myself as a support to the other family members. The second thing I want to encourage you to do is ask the Lord to show you where the gaps are, where the gaps are around you so that you can step in and offer support. The third thing is ask your family members in what areas they need support from you in these three major areas that we've spoken about. Spiritual support, psychosocial support, and developmental support. The next thing to do is observe your family members. Become an observer of life where you're just observing trying to see where the gaps, cracks, and leakages are, and then offer your support. Don't force yourself on them, but offer them that support. And then also, demonstrate curiosity by asking them some of those questions that I gave you. And if you didn't take down notes, uh, you can actually just download this message, download the notes uh, from our website, and ask them these questions. Cram these questions and know them, right? Just go deeper into other people's lives so that you can really genuinely celebrate them. Ask them more than two questions deep. Then I'll also encourage you to examine your own gifting by asking questions like, what do my family need from me that only I can give them? You see, you want to be a blessing. You want to offer them support in your areas of strength. You want to make sure that you're offering them support, which is a blessing, not a curse, you see. You don't want to say like, let me help you with your maths, let me help you with maths, but you're terrible at maths, right? Ask this question, what am I the go-to person for in my family? What do they come to me for already? Maybe that's your area of strength where you add value. Ask yourself this question, for what do I receive most compliments from, from them? In what areas do they compliment me? That could be an area of strength where you can offer them support.
Just remember you want to play to your strengths. Then I also want to do something. I want to also encourage you to do something. Clearly articulate your need for support in these areas so that it's not just one way and then you end up building resentment. Communicate appreciation when they also support you. So important. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this message. I thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and in our lives. And I ask you, Lord, to touch every family that is represented here. I ask, Father, that you minister to your people in a very powerful way, that we would create a climate at home where there's developmental support and where we're all growing together spiritually, academically, professionally, financially, where we're all growing together. Father, may our family environments be places, Lord, of psychosocial support, where there's affection, where there's empathy, where there's connection. We ask for your help, Lord. Lord, may you empower us today to offer spiritual support to our family members. May we grow in all these areas, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. God bless you.